0: Petaluma, California.
1: Are you tired of the mainstream
0: tunes that other stations play over the airwaves? I'm sure you crave more diversity. Free Range Radio, KPCA just might be the station for you. We host local producers that play anything from contemporary jazz to R&B to surf music. Tune in on 103.3 FM and online at kpca.fm.
1: Petaluma People Services Center's mission is to improve the social and economic health of our community by providing programs that strengthen the dignity and self-sufficiency of the individual. Aging in place, family support, family preservation, and nutrition are key components of our service array and mission. As with many nonprofits, we are seeing our funding shrink while we are seeing the need for our services grow. Just during Shelter-in-Place, we went from providing 100 meals per day to seniors to now providing 200 meals a day. It's donations like yours that will fund a meal for a senior, or give an at-risk youth a mentor to work with, or give a CSA box of food to a family that needs it. Go donate to PetalumaPeople.org. That's PetalumaPeople.org. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Inside Petaluma. I am Cindy Thomas, and right here with Janice Gator Thompson, my co-host. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, Cindy. Happy Friday. Yeah, happy Friday. Yeah, I always I was like Fridays. Trying to get my gear here. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, every, every day seems like a Friday for me. We ran right up until the last minute to get ready here. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. That's what we do, good. Exactly. Yes. Uh-huh, we pull it together. Yeah. Yes yes,
0: yes. yes, we do. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for being my partner and yeah. pulling me my along.
1: Somebody's got to be the organizer. Well, that's true. Well, I've been a lifetime organizer. Remember? Right. That's, that's right. The right. union organizer. That's for 40 right. Forty-some odd years. That's right. So, an organization. I like it, but yeah. I'm more
0: of a focal point on on issues and specifics. Is uh is where my brain goes. Yeah. 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 It's nice being retired, though. Yeah, I kind of like being retired, except um, with COVID, it's been a little different. Um has been way different. I know. So we're trying to plan some maybe vacations and, you know, having Coco, you know, our dog makes vacations a little bit difficult. So we're looking at, you know, some driving um, vacations and yeah. just bring her with us. Yeah. Yeah. And then if we go someplace... Out of the country, that means that we have to find somebody to babysit the
1: dog. Good, yeah. So, yeah. So, what's on today's agenda? Well, on today's agenda, we're gonna we're gonna talk about masking. Okay. What kind of masking? Like uh, uh,
2: uh
1: PPE masking. Okay, I like that. Yeah, protective yeah. personal equipment. Yes, and I know about that quite well. As yeah. A dental hygienist, I had to don up for many many years. Uh, I had to do the same, working in the Kaiser environment, and uh, and also gelling, masking, and gel in and gel out. Did you ever have that rule? We never had that rule. Yeah, when, whenever you entered the exam room or any uh, oh. sterile area, you had to gel in. And yeah. When you leave, you gel out. I just yeah. I get that. Yeah. Uh huh. Hand gel. Uh huh. Hand gel, everybody. Yes. Not air gel. Okay. Um, so, speaking of masks, um, I believe the indoor mask rules for the County of Sonoma are going to be changing, or so I read in the Press Democrat. Um, was it yesterday? It was yesterday's paper. Yeah, it was. That not a big headline. I think it was the day before, also. Uh, and actually every day in the newspaper. <laughs> yeah. Well, here to talk about it with us today is Paul Gulickson, and he's the communications manager for the County of Sonoma, and he would probably know better than any of us uh, what we're up against next week. Good morning, Paul.
3: Well, good morning. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning, Janice. Nice to be with you. Yeah, to have
1: you here. Good to see you again. It's like a (laughs) reunion, isn't it?
3: Yeah, it feels (laughs) like a reunion. Reunion. Yes. Well,
1: Over the years,
0: you know, Cindy and I, you know, we ran for city council. We've been on a city council, so you have to go through interviews with newspapers and Paul was there. Yes, Paul, so we go.
1: You were the editor. Was that correct? I was. I
3: was, I was editorial director. I was okay. on the. I oversaw the editorial board, and I will say that gave me the honor of being able to meet and interview and and uh, all of the candidates who ever ran for office over the last you know twenty years, and that was a wonderful experience. Yeah. I have to say, and I do have great respect for anybody who stepped out and ran for political office. Let me tell you, I know how difficult. It is.
2: It is, a, it is difficult. Yes, but I will
0: say, I have to just say one thing. I think the public is really getting tired of running on Rainier. <laughs>
2: <laughs> They've been waiting for a long time, and I think
0: they're finally going, I don't want to hear that in one more election, and let's just move on to safe streets.
2: Yeah, I think you're right about that. That's definitely true. Yes, it was. You know, yeah. I, I, I was
0: truthful about Rainier since 1993, and it's taken all these years to finally shift that narrative. Um, You know, so it's nothing to be proud of, but it is interesting just to watch the political world through the newspapers and through campaigning and just, you know, being involved in politics. And that's politics for you. But um, Paul and I, we kind of um, go back in a little bit different way. When you came to the paper, I had the, actually... As a dental hygienist, I had the honor of meeting your mother. And and it was just, um, I vividly remember her. I enjoyed our conversations. I was so impressed with her as a woman who really um, made very good decisions in her life, ended up moving from Palo Alto area to Sonoma, and your mom recently passed away. And when I was reading the obituary, I, I felt like, I did know her because I had met her, and it was so beautifully written, and I really enjoyed all the photos I saw on Facebook of you, your family, and your mom, and, you know, I lost my mom about, oh, God, six, seven years ago, and I miss her a lot, and so um, it was just a real pleasure to read a little bit more about who your mom was, And but it was a real pleasure to, and an honor, actually, to have met her, so...
3: That was so kind of you. Uh-huh. You know, Janice, it, this is a reminder that this is a big county, but it's a small town. Exactly. And and, and we all, you know, I just have so appreciated your kind words over the years, and particularly when she passed away, um, that we have these, our lives intersect in different ways over the years, and it's just so nice. To, it, it's a great, it's, Sonoma County is a, is a wonderful place to live, and, and, and I just, you know, you two, help make it that way, and I just want to thank you for, your, you know, just the kind notes you've sent to me and my career over the years. You always haven't agreed, but we've always, we've always been um, very, you know, supportive of one another, and I really
0: appreciate it. Well, I, I feel the same with Jim Sweeney, you know. I, yes. I send him That's positives, you know, when I really like an editorial, I let him know when I'm not as happy with his editorial, but he always answers my phone calls, and it's appreciated.
3: Jim's a great guy, and, yeah. um, you know, he and I worked together side by side for a number of years, and I'm so grateful that he's there at the paper as the editorial director now. And now I'm on the other side, so now I don't always agree with what he likes. But, boy, uh, we, we can always set it aside and go have a, a beer or some coffee together there, and, and yeah. I always appreciate that about him. That's great. Yeah, that's yeah. The way it should be. Yeah. You
0: know, it's, yeah. you know it's, it's interesting. There are very few people in politics that I've engaged with that I really dislike, most of the people I really like, even if we don't agree. And, you know, it's like, you know, I, I'll give Mike Healy as an example. You know, we don't get, a, you know, we don't agree on a lot of issues, but I have no problem emailing him and asking him a question and he always gets back. And it's not about, um, you have to, you have to separate politics from a person. Yeah. yeah. And so, and with that,
2: like
1: that, you're up. Oh, I'm out no, Oh, I think Paul's up. We brought Paul here to talk to us about uh the uh the the masking uh rules, guidelines for uh Do you wanna talk about masking? Yeah. Well, yeah, so actually, what's
0: going on? Yeah, and, and but also besides just the masking, just talk about where we were and where we are today because you know, today it's about masking and where we're gonna be going. But I'd like to little thought, start from when COVID started, what you had to do to actually gear up and even in the county gearing up?
3: Well, I think it, it's a great, great question. And in fact, let me just start with some good news that, you know, as of yesterday, we have now hit 80 percent vaccination rate for our county. Of all, oh, for all eligible awesome. population, that's all five years old. Great. And, and that is a that is a tremendous achievement for this county. That We are... Uh, among the 58 counties in the state, we are now number nine highest uh, vaccination rate in the in the state. And for a and for a county that doesn't have a central um, a healthcare system, you know we don't have a Sonoma County Hospital. Um, so, yeah, so for our vaccination effort, really had to start from scratch and working in partnerships with our our MCEs, the Kaiser's. the Providence and, and Sutter, but also our clinics, our federally uh, qualified health centers, our, our community-based organizations, the uh, Soma uh, County Medical Association, all came together to really create and push out the vaccines. And so, you know, we've had a lot of ups and downs, but, you know, when you look back on what's been accomplished, we've, we've, we're we almost at um, administering a total of 1 million doses over the past uh, 14 months and uh, for, a, for a county of less than 500,000 yes that does include boosters but you know that that is a tremendous accomplishment so I just want to applaud everybody on that and, and as you asked Janice you know it is a it was a challenge I mean like I said we, we um I, I I like to say the vaccine started showing up on our door like like pieces of an Ikea furniture without any <laughs> without any description or um you know uh, how to put it all together. And so, um, and that's what every county was finding. So those first days of the vaccination rollout. Um, and, and plus the, the start of the, the, the pandemic itself. You know, so many, when that shutdown first happened, if you remember, it was right around um, St. Patrick's Day, right? Of, of 2020. And, and we all thought, well, we'll just shut down for maybe 30 to 60 days, right? That's right. And uh didn't quite turn out way and so we, the, the difficulty of our messaging for the county was that, you know, it was just, and for everybody, it was just a constant state of pivoting. You know, pivoting became the central uh, term because the facts were always changing, the circumstances were always changing, the case rate and everything. And so that said, I, I, we are in a, a, a much better place. Um, but uh, I would say, you know, as of the when we emerged from the holidays this year, it was really kind of a sketchy time. You know, we were coming out of the holidays. Everybody was kind of wanting to go back to life as normal. And um, there was a sort of perception out there that Omicron was harmless, right? That, that it was far less, um, far less dangerous than the Delta variant, which we were dealing with uh, over the summer. But that was anything but the truth. I mean, the Omicron did have a widespread impact, particularly on our most vulnerable population, our senior citizens and our you know disadvantaged low-income communities. And um, and, we, and we saw in that first week coming back at, at the start of the year, our cases had tripled, well, quadrupled, actually, in one week. And our hospitalizations had tripled. And, our, and not only that, our hospitals were becoming overwhelmed with uh, not just patients, but they were also were suffering from um, staffing shortages and um, um, we're in an inability to transfer patients who are ready for transfer out to skilled nursing facilities because they too were, were being impacted by staffing shortages and they weren't accepting anybody in residential care facilities and other acute care facilities. So it was basically a, just a, a complete bottleneck and uh, the, the, their health care system here in the county was being overwhelmed. So that was what uh, precipitated Dr. Mace. In issuing the health order on uh, January 10th, it took effect on the 12th, that said, look, we gotta limit, um, put a cap on indoor gatherings of no more than 50 people. And that was a really hard decision because no other county was doing that. But given our high portion of um, senior citizens in our community, and uh, as well as the impacts that, that was happening on our low income communities, uh, um, our essential worker communities, if you will. She felt that was uh, really necessary and uh, and I think um, the good news is is uh, you know since then we've seen our rates our our cases come down significantly I think there's no question that the health order had a significant impact on that um, and, uh, and and keeping in mind in addition to the health order she also called for everybody to a, a, a voluntary you know limit non-essential travel out of the home so basically you know go to work go to school do what you need to do but let's uh, let's try to limit those non-essential trips outside the home let's get you know take out instead of going to restaurants you just generally encourage people to, to take it take it safe for 30 days because the recognition was that we were going to go through a significant surge for 30 days so I think those measures without question had a significant impact in flattening the curve here our cases now are one Quarter to one third of what they were a month ago. Our hospitalizations are in in less than half of what they were a month ago, and the the situations in the hospitals improved significantly. And so, um, so we're Dr. Mace has decided that that health order was not going to be extended beyond expired at midnight last night. And um, and then in addition to that. the feeling was the state has already made clear that it was not going to extend its universal mandate on masking indoors in public settings. That was going to is going to expire on February fifteenth, and um, and uh, Sonoma County, in conjunction with eleven other counties in the Bay Area region and the city of Berkeley, announced uh, this week that uh, we all will lift the universal masking requirements similarly for indoor public settings beginning on Wednesday, February 16th. So that's certainly um, that's certainly progress and good news.
0: That is good news. And, you know, the, during this entire process, you know, I will read um, people's comment about Dr. Mace, and I think she has actually done a terrific job because she's been following the science. And that's what you really need to do. You follow the science, and then you know what 30 days really means and what the, the end result in 30 days means that now we're gonna be opening. And so I think she has done a terrific job and I'm just um, ashamed having to hear the comments that people have um, basically thrown daggers at her. And I have two daughters, one is a clinical laboratory scientist, so she works in a hospital in the lab. And then the other one works in Sonoma County in, uh, as a phlebotomist. You know, so, you know, I've heard what um, the healthcare workers have had to go through and I and our teachers have had to go through and what this pandemic has really done. And when I kind of want to segue into the schools and just how important it was to keep our, the youth um, safe so they could be back in school. Um, And, you know, and also the mental um, health issues that have come with covid How's the county? I mean, when somebody really has a mental health issue with COVID, how does your team deal with that? Or do you get a lot well, of calls?
3: Well, we do. Uh, we that is that that has been a huge concern. Um, mental health, health has been an ongoing concern, you know, with our um, county department of health services and the county as a whole, and certainly. Um, the directions, the guidelines um, that uh, Dr. Mace and her team have issued over the last two years is certainly cognizant of the impacts that these have had um, uh, on all segments of our population, including school school children. So that, you know, that, and she, we work very closely with the school district in trying to man- manage and minimize the impacts on students' lives. We were very, um, I encouraged it to work with the school district and letting kids back for in-person instruction, and she didn't want to do anything that would disrupt that, recognizing the importance of, of having having children back in the classroom. Um, the issues, of, you know, many of the decisions about um, whether to go back to in-person instruction were really out of the county's hands Correct. and were really driven by the state, as is this continued mandate for masking for students in the classroom. Um, but she, but we, uh, the the health team does work very closely with Sonoma County Office of Education. We we meet with them weekly, sometimes more than that, to talk through, to help in their guidance and provide support. Uh, We were working hand-in-hand with the school district in creating um, clinics for vaccinations of school children, and those have been, continued to be very productive because what we found is that when the students come in to get their uh, vaccines. They often bring in the whole family, and so we were getting you know 150 200 people vaccinated with each clinic that we were helping set up with the school districts. And those were created in schools, particularly in areas that have been disproportionately impacted. And those and those clinics are continuing. And we're not doing 150 to 200 with each day, but we're still doing 50 to 70 a day. And and that's and um, we're, we're happy with that progress we're going to continue to push those out um, so it, you know in terms of um, um, mental health I know the um, the, uh, the the counties and schools are very aware of that and and I think there's you know I think that it, it's going to take us a while to figure out the true impact of this pandemic um, on our school children as well as all segments of our population um, because I've you know, it, it, I know it was a challenge I mean we had our own um, daughter who just graduated from high school um, last uh, last fall uh, last last spring and uh, you know um, it was very hard on her I mean between the fires and the pandemic and you know smokeouts I mean I think she probably lost half the school day instruction you know in person over the course of her high school experience you know and yeah, and, uh, yeah i I mean She's, she's thriving up at the University of Oregon right now, but frankly, she got accepted to some good colleges here in California, and but I couldn't get her. I think she's done with California. <laughs> Not that they, they don't have fires and pandemic up there too, but um, um, plus it's a, it's a great program that she wanted. But I just think there's, there's untold impacts on the last two years that we're going to be really um, having to address over a long period of
0: time. And they're unknown, and I, I agree with you.
3: I, I, I just want to segue
0: back into the county hospital. When the county, you know, decided not to have a hospital or whatever that process was. Um, so then we have a, what's Dr. May? So that is, what. what what's her title? I know what her title is, but She's a health
3: officer, and she, um, she reports to the director of health services, the Department of Health Services within the county. But she's you know a little a, a little autonomous in the sense that she is she basically presides over the public health and she can and that's why she has the authority to invoke these health orders when in a time like this a pandemic, when there's a widespread community need.
0: So, you know earlier you before we were on the air, we were just talking, and you said that the job that you have was created. And was that created because the hospital, because we don't have a county hospital? And so, how, how, why was that created?
3: That's, that's a good question. Actually, my job as communications manager, I work for the whole county. And the Department of Health Services is just one of the departments that I oversee in terms of their communications, media relations, um, and uh, public affairs. So, um, uh, I work, I work, report to the county administrator, Cheryl Bratton. I work at, we work, our central communications is out of the um, county administrator's office. And um, and it, and our my team was created um, by the board of supervisors when they felt that um, uh, they needed to build a more centralized communications team. Previously, uh, a lot of our PIO, public information officer functions, were by department. You know, the Hermit Sonoma had their own public information officer that... You know, the CAO had their own separate one. The Department of Health Service had a separate one. Instead, it was uh, it was there were a lot of things that would kind of fall through the cracks, particularly in the area, of, you know, social media, media relations. Some things just were weren't getting um, addressed. And um, this way, by building this team, we all support one another, so things don't fall through. And and so the result is we're getting out, really helping to manage the message, getting out a lot more information, resuming, pushing out a new newsletter. And, um, um, you know, I I don't know what we would have done if we hadn't had this kind of a structure uh, when COVID came up, because this has been really allowed us to, um, a lot of our effort, obviously, has been in supporting uh, the health services over the last year and a half. And, and pushing messaging on webinar, on, uh, on COVID, and so we, we do weekly webinars, for example, um, uh, where we, we interview panelists and give a COVID, Dr. Mace gives a COVID update. We um, uh, do a, you know, abundance of social media, graphics. We've created flyers, pamphlets, uh, mailers. Uh, we, we've even issued, we've even had some contracted through our office, to go door-to-door, handing out information in key d- districts, uh, in, in key zip code census uh, tracks. Um, so uh, we've done all forms of communication because of this new kind of structure that we have now.
0: So if your office, when I would get an alert on Facebook or whatever social media, it was actually your office
2: that it came yeah. through?
3: Yeah, basically just about any press release put out by the county, whether it's um I mean, the, the sheriff's office has their own function, the district attorney has their own unique function, um, but, you know, anything from, um, uh, we, we provide support for, you know, many general services, um, transportation and public work, Permit Sonoma, um, um, you know, the registrar of voters, uh, we, we provide all kinds of support, and of course, not you know, county council's office and the CAO and the board itself. So um, we do I – mean, we manage a lot of those communications or, or provide support in some way.
2: It's almost
0: like, you know, you're the – you're not the spoke of the wheel. <laughs> you were like the center <laughs> where <laughs> everything goes out, even though the supervisors are the the head.
3: Yeah, Well, our supervisors are our main spokesman. Right. I mean, people call me the spokesman, but I'm not, I right. mean, you know, really – it's our supervisors that are our best, you know, our best uh, spokesman, because they they're obviously can speak more of a position of authority and policy and all those things and address things like that. But um, uh, I think it's a system that has worked well. I really have appreciated the support we've gotten from each of the supervisors, uh, particularly, you know, Supervisor Rabbit has been a, a tremendous um, supporter of our team, and, and we've really appreciated his, his partnership and all this.
0: Well, how, I'm just going to bring this one up, Um, the anti-vaxxers within the police department and just, you know, city departments, how have you been able to deal with this? Because, you know, when you are public safety, public safety means you're supposed to be keeping the public safe. And if you're not vaccinated, and then, you know, we look at the amount of COVID that has, that's in the jail, how how was it brought into the jail? we had an officer that um died who was not uh, vaccinated um and you know how do you how do how do you actually deal with um a person's rights versus what's best for the community especially if you're a employee that is in contact with citizens during a pandemic
3: yeah that's a that's a that's a good question. You know, I I, I first want to say um, I've been really impressed with the um, the partnership that's gone on with our law enforcement and fire community, and I think a lot of that began with early on Dr. Mace when she first started. As you know, she joined us right before the pandemic right. broke out. So basically, this is all she's done. since she's been here. And she started a meeting early on with some fire leaders. Um, Steve Suter and others were really at the forefront of, of saying, "Hey, let's. Why don't we just start meeting, and you can give us updates?" And so that relationship grew over time and included many law enforcement, sheriff's office. You know, basically the whole, the whole county, um, all the fire districts, police departments. And I think it's because of that relationship, she really built a really solid. Um, Communication with them, and so when the time came that we were rolling out vaccinations, they were on board. When she was requiring uh, vaccinations or proof of negative tests, and we got, she got very little pushback or resistance. I mean, there were a lot of questions they asked because among the ranks, you know, there are there are those who are opposed to the vaccine. There's no question, but ultimately, um, the cooperation we've experienced is something that other counties were envious of. Let me just say that. I mean, it's um, uh, not every county had, had that kind of relationship between the health officer and their law enforcement and fire communities. And as a result, you know, yes, we, uh, the vaccination rate within those areas are not as high as they are generally, but it's still amazingly high. It's it's usually in this, it's around 70, 75% vaccination rate in our law enforcement teams. So which is, you know. Um, really high compared to some of our, some of the many of the other counties in the state of California.
0: Such so as Fairfield was like at twenty five percent or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that showed it, and that and right. Fairfield,
3: you know, Sonoma County is a different world, different world. Right. And, um, mm-hmm. So you know, it's uh, I, I I just want to really commend our our leaders, and that's really due to the leaders in those units that really helped. Um, Convince you know a large large number of their population to get vaccinated and understand the vaccine. That said, there are there have been holdouts. Um, I don't think the evidence shows that the, the outbreaks that have occurred at our jails were due to holdouts within the you know sheriff's office. For example, I think um, you know it's really hard to um, limit. Um, uh, can uh, uh, transmission within those kinds of congregate settings, particularly when you you know you have pe- new people coming in and out. I Many people don't realize that seventy percent of the the people who are at, in the jail are there for less than twenty four, three hours. Okay. And so that the, the, there's a constant churning of individuals there, and and then of course you bring in the visitors and get. I mean it's. Uh, there's a lot of uh, turnover there and so spread can happen very easily and you know, similar to spread it can happen in our in our homeless shelters we have a number of um many of our homeless community have been vaccinated and and many within our homeless community are, are really paranoid about staying in some of these shelters now because of the outbreaks that have occurred there but you know our groups like catholic charities and cots have, have done a great job of really helping contain that and setting up rules um, um and standards that that uh, have helped protect those communities they've all had their their outbreaks at times but um i just really applaud them as well so um anyway it's uh it, in general you know it, uh, it is there is a, there is a heavy contingent of anti-vaxxers in the community and they become very vocal and getting back to you know the, the attacks on dr mays i i am you know i'm very uh, that, that that concerns me too. I I, I get kind of protective mm-hmm. because I I feel like you know she is she is very vulnerable. She she does get death threats. You know she gets attacks all the time, and some of it is, and so so much of it is based on, you know people can have difference of opinions, but to go after people personally, you know it just it re- just really galls me, and um, especially when they're dealing with misinformation and. You know, I I just want people to know that no decision... You may disagree with Dr. Mace, but Dr. Mace is not the enemy here. Her health orders aren't the enemy here. The enemy here is a global pandemic of unprecedented proportion that has swept across this nation and claimed more than 900,000 lives, more than 80,000 lives in the state of California. I mean, this is a serious, um, um, you know, health issue, and she is doing her best. To, to manage that as best you can, and, and and working in partnership with the board of supervisors and everybody else in the county, so it's 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 hard to sometimes contain that that this discussion because people get very emotional and want to believe there's simple answers, and one of those answers is that Dr. Mace is evil and doesn't like children or whatever. But, but it, you know, and that's why I I constantly. You know, no matter what it is on Facebook, when I see something, I get, I dive into those discussions and I come, you know, I defend her for that because, you know, I don't always agree with some of the things that the health team decides, but there's always science behind it. And, um, and, and it's, and it's, um, you know, and I think the, I think the end result shows that the steps that we've taken here in this county. Um, have saved lives over the last two years. I mean, our death rate here in Sonoma County is 58 percent below the state average, which is again another 50 percent plus below the national average. And I think if you extrapolate, you know, our death toll would be. We, we have we've had experienced 461 deaths of COVID, which is way too many. But I think if you if we if our average is the same as the rest of the country, it would be somewhere around 12 to 1500. You know, and I don't know what the cost is of saving those lives, but there's definitely, you know, we, I think that's something that's a positive, and, and let alone how many people have been kept out of the hospital because of the measures that were taken here. And and part of those measures is that people stepped up and got vaccinated. And that is that provides a cushion and a protection for everybody.
1: All right. You're listening to Inside Petaluma, uh, here with myself, Cindy Thomas, and Janice Cater-Thompson, and our guest today, Paul Gulickson, who's the communications manager for the County of Sonoma. Again, thanks for being here, Paul. And um, I want to get back to the changes to the masking rules that will go into effect next week. Can you kind of um, go over the the changes and, and what exactly are the expectations for folks who are, are indoors next week.
3: Yeah, thank you for asking that. Um, so, um, so essentially, it will. This the the Sonoma County's indoor mask universal mask mandate will, will come to an end, as will in, in all the other counties in this in, in the Bay area, except for Santa Clara County, by the way. But um, but that that still doesn't mean that we should throw away our masks. Let's be careful about that because there are still. Um, the unvaccinated individuals, and that means everybody over the age of two, will still need to wear masks in all indoor public settings. Um, um, and there still will be requirements for uh, uh, masks regardless of vaccination status in certain areas like for public transportation, all hospitals and all health care settings, um you know, congregate settings like the ones we were talking about, like jails, homeless shelters will still require masking, all long-term care facilities, skilled nursing facilities, and uh, child care as well as, as we discussed, um, school children will still be required uh, to wear masks. I don't know how long that will will remain in place, uh, but um, uh, that is still a state uh, mandate and that will remain in effect. But aside from that, you know, Dr. Mace, she she recognizes that we're basically moving from a pandemic state to an endemic state, meaning we're going to perhaps be living with COVID like we do flu. It's it's just learning to uh, mitigate it as best we can. And and with that comes um, a a period where uh, a new phase where people kind of need to evaluate their own personal risk um, and... And so she's really encouraging uh, people who are, have underlying health conditions, particularly some of our older residents, or those who are around people um, with um, underlying health conditions, or like our senior citizens, to continue to wear their masks, uh, particularly in um, um, public settings outdoors. Now we, you know, we don't all of us we don't aren't going to need to wear our mask when we go to the grocery store, or the mall, but um, um, you know she's encouraging that if, if if we are one of those at-risk groups that we continue wearing our masks as best we can
1: but that that doesn't mean that an agency or, or a business has to go by those rules if they want to enforce masking they can is that correct
3: that is correct and that is an important thing because um, uh, businesses still reserve the right to do um, to require masking they can still require Proof of vaccination um, or a negative test. Now, uh, we were meeting with um, some of the the leaders within our entertainment venues, and my understanding is uh, many of our venues, like the Green Music Center, Luther Burbank, even some of our movie theaters, if not all, are going to continue to require proof of vaccination and or a negative test and are going to require patrons to wear masks um, when they come in. And they have that right to do so.
1: Okay. Now, is there any concern at all for uh, events, which could be considered super spreader events? For instance, Super Bowl is coming this Sunday. Is there any concern from the county uh, in that regard?
3: Well, um, fortunately the Super Bowl is not in Sonoma County this year, so. Um, <laughs> but
1: many many uh, I, uh, party houses are. <laughs> uh,
3: and I wouldn't want to be the communications manager for L.A. this week. <laughs> right. Um, uh, but um, um, so many of those venues uh, do are requiring you know proof of vaccination or a um, um, or a negative test, and and you know the challenge is is trying to get. Those who are unvaccinated to continue wear their masks. You know, I I we recognize that it's going to be a challenge. I mean, technically, they're supposed to keep wearing their masks, and uh, yeah, uh, but that's that's going to be though it's going to be a challenge. But you know, it would not be my suggestion that somebody who who is in one of those high risk categories, some of the underlying health conditions, to to make that trip to the Super Bowl right now. That doesn't mean next year they they might not be able to. It's just you know, we are still in a in a in a surge. You know, and and um, you know even here in Sonoma County, you know, we're still recording 300 400 cases a day, which is you know as I said a third to a quarter of what we where we were, mm-hmm. but that that's still um, widespread infection, and uh, and it's still having an impact um, even on you know we we've had um, we've reported four more deaths yesterday, and I think three of the four were. Uh, fully vaccinated individuals over the age of 65, and uh, and that's that's heartbreaking. You know, Granted, they had you know there were underlying health conditions involved, but um, and I don't know, I don't believe they were boosted, which is really unfortunate because I think the evidence is showing the importance of being boosted, particularly for our vulnerable populations. Uh, so if you're not, if you haven't gotten fully vaccinated, please do so. If you haven't gotten boosted, please do so. Um, And if I might make a pitch, you know, the county is holding a max vaccination sites on weekends through through next weekend. So Saturday and Sunday um, from 9 to 4, um, you can go to the fairgrounds, the Santa Rosa fairgrounds, and get, you know, your first or second vaccine or your booster shot. And there's even going to be a a mobile clinic to get tested if you need that. Um, uh, But this would be a great time to take advantage of that.
0: Well, I just uh, wanted to segue into HIPAA. Um, I feel as though, being from the medical field, HIPAA has been really abused. Um, I feel as though we weren't getting, you know, enough information. Um, Just knowing that somebody dies, um, I, I of course, always want to know, did they have their booster? Did they have underlining um, conditions, you know, that is why somebody would die? And I just feel as though um, HIPAA... Has been abused, and I'm just curious, uh, or interpreted in different
1: me different ways. And I think we need to let the listeners know that HIPAA is, oh, is right. the privacy act that yes. protects medical information. Yeah.
3: Well, I I, I would agree with you, and in, in that sense, that uh, HIPAA is there to protect our right. protect our healthcare information but sometimes it also can prevent the public from really getting the information that would be helpful for right. them to know, right. right? And so throughout this whole pandemic, we, we've had to really um, uh, walk that fine line between sharing enough information about cases and deaths that is really helpful for the uh, the public without sharing too much. And we uh, certainly certainly... Um, res- Sharing enough that might reveal somebody's identity and, and would violate HIPAA, and so on our communications team, that has been an ongoing challenge. Now I will say that you know we probably reveal more in inform- our 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 epic team feels we we give out more information than many other, if not most, counties do in terms of deaths and things like that. We but we always. And when we report a death, for example, we report an age range and a gender and a date of death and those kinds of things. They feel we already give out too much information, so they're already nervous that we might be pushing the guidelines on HIPAA. But I, I feel like it is important because we do want people to understand who is most impacted. And I think, for example, during this Omicron surge, it served as a good example that's showing that Omicron is not harmless, that particularly to our, our senior population. Um, and those who have not been boosted. And I think that's important information for the public to know.
0: I'd like to kind of segue into vaccines for the um, infants and, you know, up to age five or uh, four. Um, my cousin is an emergency doctor at um, Brigham and um, in Women's in Boston, so he's connected with Harvard. And he just wrote, you know, an article on vaccinations for children, he has a daughter who's three and a half. He's he's been writing about vaccines um, and talking about COVID from day one. Um, and what is there's there's still a lot of information that needs to be known. Should children get vaccinated? What ages, and is there a difference from an infant to age two, two to age? Four? four or five, and and I know this is a little bit unknown where we're going to be going with this, but there is some concern about vaccinating children uh, in a certain age group. Do you know much about that, or where is the county going to be, how is the county going to educate people when it really is safe for children to be vaccinated?
3: Yeah, it's an important area, Um, and I, um, you know, I'd start... It gets dangerous when you start asking me about talking about clinical trials and things like that. So uh, I'm no expert here, but I do know that the data is inconclusive, uh, or in terms of there was mixed data, let's say, over the benefits of vaccines for two to four year olds, and and that's kind of that's going before the the FDA and, and the CDC now to to evaluate. So. It'll be interesting what comes from those discussions. Um, you know that whether that uh, you know, as you know, the rate of infection among our youngest population is is, is pretty rare. Um, but that that said, there are still some um, um, very uh, um, serious outcomes that can come from young children getting it, and um, uh, so. That's something that um, I think in general there's going to be a lot of discussion, even if and when the FDA gives full EUA approval, emergency authorization, youth authorization, approval for um, a vaccination for that two- to four-year group, which will be the next one. Um, I think that's going to be uh, – there's going to be a lot of discussion about how to push that and encourage that because – you know, our focus has really been on the school-age children and, and who are going to be going into those congregate settings in schools. That doesn't apply to much to the 2- two- to 4-year-olds, although there are some preschooling that's going on in those age groups, um, important ages for preschool. And, um, and uh, But I think uh, largely a lot of those, we're going to be encouraging um, parents to have those discussions with their pediatricians. Um, as to whether or not to take advantage of that, but we're gonna we're going the data that comes from the FDA um,'s decision, and um, we'll be following that closely. So to answer your question, there, there hasn't really been a decision made about how we might um, message that, but we obviously um, um, will be greatly influenced by what whatever the science says. and I, I do think um, we'll be, you know, really be encouraging people to have those discussions with their pediatrician.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I have heard that there are a lot of illegitimate COVID testing sites uh, throughout the county. Can you address <laughs> that for us? Or do you know anything about that? You mean the one that I went to?
3: <laughs> well, Jen, I don't know if you've talked about it. I haven't heard you talk about But I know there was one in Babylon. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and I know that got a lot of attention. And... Uh, you know, it is, it is an environment out there uh, where, you know, um, these, these sites sort of pop up and, um, you know, they, they, they may be doing the right things in terms of reporting the right information, but they may not have the reputation or the authority to be yeah. operating as they claim they are. And so I know that was the one uh, case uh, with the... Yeah. one. I don't know if I'd say there's a lot of them, but I know they have uh, cropped up at times and um, um, there, there are some clinics that work in close uh, partnership with the county and then there are others operations that are kind of independent outside of the county and so um, you know, we, we really encourage people to go to those that are um, listed on our website those tend to be only the ones that we have partnerships with and, uh, and that true, that goes true for the vaccination clinics as well um, but uh, uh, so we have a list on our website of all the different groups where, where to get tested and and vaccinated but that is you know it, it is it is a product of you know of this pandemic that uh, some of the Fraud that exists. Yeah. I don't know if it's fair to call this a fraud operation, but it, it sure felt like it. And um, there's, there's, you know, people out there offering to sell you a fake vaccination card, which is a federal offense, by the way. And um, it's it just, it's amazing how, or were people trying to gouge for test kits? That was the thing last month, right? Yeah. People were charging up to $150 for one test kit. Mm-hmm. Um, price gouging was was the scene. You and, know, I had uh, um, it's an unfortunate byproduct of what we're doing. I, I
0: had had this cold, and so um, somebody let us know that if I called my doctor, I could go into the Lynch Creek Lab to get a COVID test. And so I did call my doctor because I had had this cold and wasn't shaking it, and but I was coming up negative on the home test. Um, but back to the fake COVID test, it really wasn't fake. They actually did a true COVID test, but you never got your results back. But <laughs> yeah, but you know, I kept driving by this um, site, and it was at the community center, and it was in an odd area. And I'm usually pretty astute to knowing when something isn't right, and I don't have any problem calling the city and saying, you know, you might want to check into this. And I have to say, I fell for it. After about three days, I thought, no, it must be legitimate. The city hasn't removed it, and that was my thought. And so I really do question, I think it's really important for cities and police departments to recognize when you're on patrol and you're driving around and something doesn't seem right with one of these sites, maybe you should stop and ask a few questions. Because my, you know, I just waited three or four days, and on probably the fourth day I said, oh, I'll go down and get one, because it seemed legitimate. And it wasn't. And the process was I did write to the police department and did get a response back, Um, And so I think what they were really doing is trying to get your insurance information, and so they were billing at the same time. Right. And, you know, and but the information is you didn't have, like, a receipt. You didn't receive anything. And I feel foolish for falling for it, but I just watched this site up for X amount of days, and that's where my mind was, plus we were at a surge. And I had had this cold. So um, I think there are some improvements that can be made that if somebody does see a site, especially a city official, that they contact the county.
1: Oh, I would yeah. think that they would have to be like any other vendor that does uh, have you, have a, a hot dog stand. You need to have a permit. Um, it, it's an embarrassment. I yeah. have to say I'm embarrassed, but I would just mm-hmm. want
0: to like be truthful about my thought process on that. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> here we go. Uh,
3: well, it's certainly understandable, and I and I completely agree with you. And it's you know it's in in, in times like this of, of crisis and flux, you know that that these uh, kind of operations step up and try to take advantage of the you know whether it's insurance money or whatever. But um, yeah, I, I, it is unfortunate. It was unfortunate. I just
0: have just another question about, you know, your position and the position um, with um, communicators, um, people that are communicating from the county to the public. This is just observation, but it always seems like um, um, you work for the Sonoma Media. Matt Brown works for the Sonoma Media. It just seems as though we get a lot of people that have worked for Sonoma Media now working in that department. Do you ever feel like there's any conflicts of interest or any, Pressure to go in one direction or not?
3: You know, um, I think that's a really fair question. You're right. We have, I've been very grateful to hire Matt Brown as one of our communications specialists, um, a former editor of the uh, Argus. And uh, and uh, uh, I, I also have hired, uh, very fortunate, I've hired Ted Apple, the former managing editor of the Press Democrat. And um, I would say um, that I think it's been an, an incredible benefit for the county because both come in with incredible institutional knowledge of our counties. Matt has an extensive knowledge of the south side end of the county, and and um, and Ted has incredible you know history with the north end, well the whole county, but but and. Um, but just, you know, they both have really hit the ground running and being able to write and with, with knowledge and experience about many different areas. They, I can put them in um, any situation and they can write, a, you know, produce something very quickly. And um, they both also have a, a deep understanding of how newspapers and media work. And I think that's really helped in um, knowing, you know, how, having to manage the messaging deadlines, um, and, uh, you know, getting getting access to the kind of information that, that they might need, that the public might need. And, um, but also, you know, working with the radio stations, broadcasts, um, many different broadcast stations. So they both have a deep understanding of how the, the news works, as well as social media. They're also very, um, um, experienced in that realm. So in terms of our relationship with Snowman Media Investments, um, you know, I we are. I'm a uh, as a former uh, employee of the Press Democrat, some media Investments myself. I have, I, I think, I have a very good relationship with the, the publishers, uh, CEO Steve Falk. I still, he's a, a dear friend, and uh, but that doesn't mean that he's agreed on everything, and I've agreed with everything they've done. You know, like I said, I've I've been on the other side of the fence now. And um, we've, we've gone toe-to-toe at times over things that I didn't agree with how, how their approach was on the story and the facts on the story. And, and, uh, but I think we have a great working relationship. And you know, at times, I think I'm, I'm the, the Press Democrat's uh, best champion. I'm, I, I believe strongly, and, and the artist's courier. I believe very firmly in the belief of a, that every community needs a newspaper. The institutions are very important in our community. At the same time, I also know the kind of standards that they they, they need to live up to. That they've held, they have a high standard for themselves, and I when when they don't meet that standard, I'll be the first to let them know. Um, so it's it, you know it's uh, I think it's a good productive relationship, but um, and I think it, it works um, to, to both. And I'm and I'm proud that press Democrat now is really uh, so many investments is looking to do more investigative journalists and. And as I told the editors at the Press Democrat and the Argus Courier, you know, I think we all want the same thing, which is for the public to get accurate information. We're going to help them do that.
1: Well, we are just about out of time. So with the few minutes we have left, Paul, would you mind uh, providing some websites or other sources for for, um, folks to go to to get that information?
3: Yeah, you bet. Well, the best source of information, I think, is our is our website, which is SocoEmergency.org, S-C-O-C-O, uh, Emergency.org, where you can get all kinds of information about vaccines, about clinics, about testing, where to get tested, where to get uh, get an appointment. Um, I also encourage people to call uh, the county's hotline. If if uh, they have some questions, which is uh, 707-565-4667. And I also would encourage everybody to uh, uh, follow uh, Sonoma County on Facebook and on Instagram. Um, Our Facebook page is a source of a lot of um, information. We do live stream uh, uh, webinars there on Wednesdays, most every Wednesday. We do them in Spanish as well for a Spanish-speaking audience, and um, uh, it's, it's a source of great, you know, we push the, a lot of information out on social media now, and we also push our, our newsletter, the uh, Sonoma County Correspondent, goes out on that as well, so we encourage everybody to to, to follow us and like us on, um, on the Sonoma County Facebook.
1: Okay. I know Janice is burning to ask another question, <laughs> question, but we have like a minute and a half left. It, it's, just, it, it's just food for
0: thought. You know, when I got into dental hygiene, AIDS was big. And so a lot of people decided not to go into the medical field. I think we're having the same problem with COVID. Where, where are we going to get nurses and doctors? Um, you know, people in the healthcare profession. And I think that's another conversation but i think it's really important for people to realize that healthcare is still a really good or good profession to get into don't be afraid of covid i wasn't afraid of aids and i'm very happy going into that career and i think people um, need to not have the fear of going into the healthcare that's all okay that's
1: nice. wow
3: <laughs> so I'd like to I'd like to support you on that. My wife is a nurse that's dedicated to health. Okay. And uh, I just would, do a shout out to all our healthcare. Workers. Yes. All yes. Exactly. Yes. yes.
1: And and thank you to you, Paul Gulistan, for being on our show today. Uh, again, Paul is the communications manager for the County of Sonoma, and was gracious enough to come in on his day off to educate us on on the county's information around vaccines and masking. Thanks again, Paul. Thanks, Paul.
3: Thank thank you. Great conversation. Really appreciate it.
1: You're listening to Inside Petaluma. I'm Cindy Thomas, here with Janice Peter-Thompson on Petaluma's homegrown radio station, KTCA 103.3 FM. And we also stream live at KTCA.fm. And to hear any of our past shows, please go to our Facebook, I'm sorry, our website, insidepedaluma.com and give us a like at Facebook at KPTA Inside Petaluma. We're here every Friday from 11 to noon in the mornings, and we hope you come back and join us again next week. We will see you then. Thank you, Janice. Thank you, Cindy. So it's always a pleasure every Friday. All right. We'll see everybody later. Bye. Bye. Bye.